0: on heaven. And today we're in the middle of this grand vision that John receives about what the new heavens and new earth will be like. So we have a lot to cover this morning because we're right in the thick of chapter 21 in Revelation. So what we're going to do is just jump right into it. So grab a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be in verses 9 to 27. Revelation 21 verses 9 to 27. If you need a copy of the Bible, raise your hand. Um, We'd love to get you one. So just want to make sure everybody can follow along with us this morning. So as we look at this passage, as we look at this passage, the central truth that we need to grasp about heaven is this, and this is what we're going to be talking about all morning. Heaven is God's people in God's presence for God's glory. Okay, that's what we're going to see in this text. Heaven is God's people in God's presence for God's glory. So you can see that there's three parts there, and those are the three different parts of our text. It's God's people, God's presence, and God's glory. And that's why we're going to look at our passage today. So let's, uh, before we tackle that, let's read our text. This is Revelation 21, verses 9 to 27. So John is receiving this vision and the text says one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me come I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God it shone with the glory of God And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it is wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth, ruby, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, turquoise, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great, street, or the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. It's a magnificent passage and really the culmination of the book of Revelation. And so as we look at this again, we're going to look at it in three different parts. Remember, God's God's people in God's presence for God's glory. So let's look at the first section here, which is, that heaven is about God's people. This is verses 9 to 14. Now let's remind ourselves what's happening here in this text. The Apostle John is exiled on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean because he was preaching the gospel. And so he's receiving this vision of, from the Lord about what heaven is like. And our passage begins with an exact parallel to the beginning of chapters 17 and 18. You see, John received a vision in chapter 17 and 18 about the destruction of Babylon. And so the beginning of our passage and the beginning of chapter 17 begin with literally the same words. What I want to do here is show you what I mean. So remember last week we talked about the book of Revelation using the concept of Babylon. It was originally an actual physical city state, but it becomes this symbol of. The seductions of this world and the rebellion of the nations against God. And so let me read to you chapter 17 verses 1 to 2. And you'll see the parallel to verse 9 in our passage. So if you're in your Bible there and you want to flip back a couple pages, I'll also have it on the screen. Listen to how similar the wording is to the beginning of the vision about Babylon. Chapter 17 verses 1 and 2 says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came, to me, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. Now let me point out a few things here. There's some similarities between these two passages. The first similarity is that it's the same angel who gives the vision. You literally see that same language. Verse 9 in our passage says that one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls from the seven last plagues came and said to me. So it's the same angel giving the same vision. And it's also a vision about a city. But there's some huge differences. John is taken to a wilderness to view the destruction of Babylon. Whereas in chapter 21, he's taken to a high mountaintop to view the establishment of the New Jerusalem. That's no accident. Because, friends, in the the Bible, though, a wilderness is a place of temptation, it's a place of rebellion, and it's a place of death. So for John to be taken to a wilderness to view what's going to happen to Babylon is significant. But then he's taken to, in 21, a mountaintop, a mountain great and high to view the vision of the establishment of the new Jerusalem. In the Bible, mountaintops are where God speaks and his glory is revealed. Like Abraham on Mount Moriah when he goes to sacrifice Isaac, God speaks in that moment and confirms the covenant. Like Moses on Mount Sinai when he receives the Ten Commandments and he sees the glory of God. And like Jesus on the Mount of Olives when he prays with the Father. A mountaintop is where God speaks and where his glory is revealed. So it's significant that these two visions are set up as almost as parallel and that as you read 21, you need to think back to that vision in 17 and 18 because the visions are opposed to each other and have two completely different messages because Babylon is being punished and destroyed because of her sin, whereas the new Jerusalem is being rewarded for her faithfulness to Christ. So let's pick up our passage. Go back to chapter 21, verse 10. So we saw the beginning there really hark- harks back to that chapter 17. But in verses 10 and 11, we see some striking characteristics about the new Jerusalem. So verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. We just talked about that. And he showed me the, new, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It's shown with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. So there's a couple striking characteristics here. The new Jerusalem comes from heaven, from God. In other words, it's not of earthly origins. This is a city and a people that comes directly from the Lord. And the other is that it bears God's glory. It's marked by his presence. Now, what is the new Jerusalem exactly? Remember last week we talked about the reality that New Jerusalem is both a place and a people? Well, this text gives us a little bit a better idea of what the people and who the people are by using some, some important symbols. So look at verses 12 to 14. It's interesting that the vision here is of this physical city, but it has symbolic significance for the people who are there. Verse 12, it had a great... High wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it tells you that there's three on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. Verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Did you notice the two symbolic groups that are mentioned here? There's the 12 gates representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So God's people that he called will be there. And then there's the 12 foundations, which represent the twelve the names of the 12 apostles, who are the foundation. It's interesting that the, the church in the New Testament era springs from and is built on the foundation of the apostles. And in the vision here, the names of the apostles are literally the foundation of the New Jerusalem. So, in other words, let me summarize this. Heaven is a place where God is going to gather All of his people from all across history, Jews and Gentiles together, under Christ, in heaven, with the perfect full number of his people in heaven. Everyone that God has chosen will be there. That's the people that will be a part of it. So as our passage begins, you see that that the vision embodies the people who will be in heaven. So it's God's people in God's presence. That's part two. So look at verses 15 to 21. Heaven is about God's presence. This is interesting here because the angel takes John on a surveying expedition. He basically says, hey, let's let's go check out what the city is. The angel has a measuring rod. Let's go measure it out. And see what the dimensions and the construction materials are of the city. And both of the measurements and the construction materials have symbolic significance. So look at the dimensions first. Verses 16 and 17 give us the details. Listen to this. The city was laid out like a square as long as it is wide He measured the city and it was with a rod. It was found to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. Okay, so that's the dimensions of the city itself. Then look at the walls. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. Now, let me just walk you through what these measurements are. The city is 12,000 stadia cubed. It's as long and wide and high It's the same measurement, 12,000 stadia. Now, numbers in the book of Revelation have symbolic significance always, and so 12,000 is no accident. 1,000 in the book of Revelation represents perfection. And then 12, we know of the 12... Tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. 12 has got this symbolic significance also of perfection and of God's people. And so, so these two combined is 12,000 stadia in length. Now, in the ancient world, one stadion, which is the, the singular, is about 600 feet. It was used in the Greek-Roman world all over the place. So this is a standard unit of measurement. So what it would translate to us is that 12,000 stadia is the equivalent of 1,400 miles 1,400 miles cubed. Now, this would be like having a city that stretches from here to Los Angeles, and then from the Canadian border to the Mexican border. That's how big the city would be, and 1,400 miles high. Now, the walls are 144 cubits thick, which is about 200 feet. Cubit is about the length of your arm, just roughly. This is a symbolic number too, right? Think 12 times 12. 12 tribes, 12 apostles, those types of things. Now, how do we understand these dimensions? What's the significance of this? It's no accident that these numbers are the way that they are. Now, I believe the New Jerusalem is a physical place, yes. But I think because of how symbolic these numbers are, we need to understand that the vision we're receiving that John has, the symbolic significance of these numbers is the most important part. Because think about this. Let me just put... Trying to understand why the fact that they're symbolic, let me just put this 1,400-mile-cube city into perspective in terms of dimensions. Okay, Mount Everest stands just over five miles high from sea level, and you can't really breathe there. Okay, 1,400 miles, much greater, right? 80% of our atmosphere exists in only the first 10 miles from the surface of our planet, 80% of the air. According to NASA, low Earth orbit begins at 110 miles. The International Space Station orbits our planet at 254 miles. See, a city that would be 1400 miles high, the new Earth must have some different physical properties that we can't understand. Because that heavy and that large of a city might even throw off the rotation of the planet. So there's something that we have to step back here and say, let's not get too hung up in the actual physical dimensions and what that would mean, because the symbolic significance is what's most important, and we're going to get to that in a moment. Let's talk about the construction materials. Look at verse 18 into 21. Let's just scan through this. Okay, the walls are made of jasper, the city of pure gold. talks about all of these precious stones that were on each foundation. And as you go all the way through verse 21, you see that there are 12 gates, had 12 pearls, each one a single pearl. And the city had a street of gold as pure as transparent glass. So the walls are made of transparent jasper, which might be a diamond. We don't really know what that stone is. The city is transparent gold. Has anybody ever seen translucent gold before? I've never seen it before, so it's something that we don't totally know what that is. But it's beautiful, is what John is saying. Each foundation has these precious stones, and then each gate is one pearl. Now, in a, in a city, let me just uh, communicate some background here. In an ancient city, the gates were not only a door to the city, but they were also a rampart or a, a guard tower. Because you had to have, as verse 12 says, the angels guarding those gates were in the guard tower, right? So imagine this. This is why that single pearl would be kind of hard to wrap our minds around. Because if you have a city that's 1,400 miles high and has gates that are not only a door, but also some kind of a a military installation, can you imagine the size of the oyster that would have to make a pearl that big? (laughs) I mean I can't even imagine it wouldn't I don't see how it can exist so in this world at least right so this is something heavenly let's just put it that way it is and obviously the language that that John is using he is envisioning a reality that he is trying he's in a way struggling to find human terms to describe its magnificence and beauty and so for us it's it's a matter of imagination and saying a single pearl for each gate oh my goodness So its glory and its majesty are what it's being communicated. Now, what do we do with the city, its dimensions and its materials? There are two things that it symbolizes, I think. And this is where we need to, to, to wrap our minds around the significance here. The first is that this city symbolizes perfection. John wants to show us that God is revealing that this city, that heaven as a place, is a place of perfection. It's a perfect city inhabited by all of God's people from all across history. The 12 gates, the 12 foundations, the totality of God's people, the 12,000 stadia cubed, meaning it's a perfect design. The materials are beautiful, priceless, magnificent, unbelievable to imagine. It's the most beautiful place you could possibly see. So it symbolizes perfection. The other thing that this city symbolizes is the presence of God. Now let me just say something very clear. A cubed shaped city is no accident. Let me ask you, where else in the Bible have we seen a cubed shaped place for the presence of God? I'll tell you the answer. It is the holy of holies in the center of the tabernacle and the temple. You go back and you read your Old Testament and when, 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 when Adam and Eve are walking through the garden in the presence of God and sin ruptures that relationship and enters the world and then God's pre- they're removed from God's presence, as God establishes his people, he establishes the tabernacle as a place for his presence to be with his people. And the innermost room, the most holy place, is a cube-shaped room with a heavy curtain to separate it from the rest of the tabernacle. And you know what? That's that curtain that Jesus tore at his death. And so as God walks through the the, the promise to Abraham and he establishes his people and he goes through the time of the Israelites in the wilderness and as they establish themselves in in the promised land and all the way up to Jesus' death, God's presence is above the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, between the cherubim, inside a cubed shaped room called the Holy of Holies. And when Jesus dies, the curtain is torn. So, friends, the New Jerusalem, the, the, the fact that it is a cubed shaped city, is a, is a powerful symbol that this is now the abode of God. His presence is here. His presence is here now. It is, the you could say, the new Jerusalem is the new holy of holies. We're the coming together of God's people who may now enter the most holy place in a city whose gates will never be shut. His presence not blocked, but open. You see... One way to put it, and I've mentioned this in a previous message, Graham Goldsworthy is a a theologian, and he puts it this way about what God's plan is for salvation and what heaven is like. You'll see it on the screen here. He said, it's God's people in God's place, living under God's rule, in God's way, in God's holy and loving presence. See, friends, heaven is about the presence of God, and that's the meaning of those dimensions and construction materials. Now, let's get to the third part of our passage. Heaven is about God's glory. So this is verses 21 to 27. Let me just say it plainly. If the new Jerusalem is the new Holy of Holies with the intimate presence of God with his people, we have to ask this question. What is the purpose of a place like this? What's the purpose of a temple? Go back to that whole tabernacle temple roots of what the new Jerusalem is. What happens at a temple? The short answer is worship. Or put it another way, the New Jerusalem is a place where the presence of God will be physically evident and all people will bring glory to God all the time. So look at me at verse 22. text says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. In other words, this whole place is now where God's presence is. There doesn't need to be a holy of holies that's sectioned off from everybody else. Look at this, verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. We talked about this just a moment ago, but if you remember that story of the scriptures, the presence of God with Adam and Eve, and then through the temple or tabernacle, and then now in the church, this is the key that I want you to see. Because you have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, you now are purified for the very presence of God to be with you by the Holy Spirit today. Think back to that Old Testament sacrificial system. Why set up a curtain? Why put God's presence in the Holy of Holies? When you have a sinful people, there has to be some rituals and some rules or else you enter that Holy of Holies without preparing yourself and bam, you're dead. But what is amazing about the New Testament church, this era, this time where Jesus has died for you, his blood has been shed, he's raised from the dead, that when you ask for forgiveness and the scriptures make it very clear, you are a new creation. You have been sanctified. And because you have been sanctified, God's presence is no longer uh, only in that holy of holies. The curtain is torn and God's presence is now in you by the spirit. But you know what? In heaven, God's presence will be with you physically also. Because you will see Jesus face to face. And so you see each step of the way, we're working towards that climax of seeing Jesus in heaven. This is why 1 Corinthians chapter 13, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 says these words about us. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. See, that's who we are today. Now, let's look at this reality that we look ahead to. God's presence is like light. Now, most scholars, let me just, there's a little bit of debate here. Is there going to be a sun or moon in the new heavens and new earth? Some people say yes, because they're saying that this is a symbolic way of saying, and you can actually see how the text is worded in the NIV, that the city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. In other words, there may still be a sun, but it just doesn't necessarily need it. Now, another way to say it is there might not be a sun. We don't really know the physical properties of that. That's not the point of John's vision. John's vision here is that God is providing the light, the guidance for everyone in the new earth to walk by, and they will follow him. Look at that next verse, verse 24. The nations will walk by its light. When we use that language, we mean we're taking our cues from God every step of the way. We're following him perfectly. In other words, the new Jerusalem is like the headquarters of the new earth. Okay? And, and, and the fact that the nations will walk by its light, There's there, many of us, there's a lot of scholars who put it this way, that the New Jerusalem is going to be a physical place, but there's going, to be, uh, there's going to be societies and nations on the earth because we know there's going to be every people from every people, every tribe, every nation, every language. And so the nations of the earth will look to the New Jerusalem and to the Lord for their guidance and, 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 and as the Lord of their life. Now, look at the, the wording here. Verse 25, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night. This is important, really important, because it communicates absolute safety and openness. Now, why would you shut your gates at night if you're an ancient city? Protection. Yes, and, 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 and night was a, a, a very dangerous, and, and, and again, we've talked about this in the past, you can't just flick a flashlight on, and so nighttime is a very dangerous and, and hostile place. And so a city would close its gates to keep enemies and hostile things outside, and the citizens inside would find protection. And you know what? The fact that the gates will never be shut means that the earth is purified from everything that is bad and wrong and evil and dangerous. And so... The gates will never need to be shut. And there's no night. Darkness is a, is a biblical metaphor for the existence apart from God. And so everything will be right and as it should be. Now, we know, and as the text ends, that only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be in this place. Now, this, this is an interesting thing about apocalyptic literature, and that's the genre we're in, is that the f- there's some flexibility in the, ter- in the terminology here. Look at that last verse. Verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Yes, it's a perfect place. We know that. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. So some people ask, does that mean there's going to be people who are evil in the, world, in the new heavens and new earth, and they just can't come in the city? And we have to say the answer is no, because we know the judgments already happened in chapter 20. So it's symbolic language that's just saying that... Only those who are God's people are going to be here. So here's the important thing I want you to see. And let's tie this back to the beginning here. There's an incredibly important contrast that goes back to this Babylon idea. You see, Babylon was being judged because she stood for everything sinful and selfish and deceptive. Babylon seduces the nations and brings the kings of the earth. To follow her hollow promises. <clears throat> you see, we talked about last week about that we're all tempted by Babylon. That we face the challenge of whether we're going to put our identity, our fulfillment, and our joy in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of Babylon. This is why that verse 21 says that the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. In other words, the new Jerusalem is such a contrast to Babylon. You see, the redeemed people on earth are going to bring their obedience, their honor, their, their, the glory of God is going to be made known. It's so different from the seductions of Babylon. And let me just put it very pointedly, because this world is giving you a message that wants to put you on the throne of your life. Let me just challenge you. <laughs> As these two places are contrast in the book of Revelation, whose glory do you live for? Heaven's a place, it's God's people and God's presence for God's glory. Let me describe to you what our world will tell you. This is what it sounds like. This is the lies of Babylon in America today. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you're tempted by this. You deserve happiness. You deserve fulfillment. You deserve to achieve your dreams. Your desires are what matter most. Listen to your inner longings. Follow what's inside. Our world will tell you, if it feels right, then it is right. Attitude of your mind. The kingdom of God says, to God be the glory alone. And the kingdom of God says, Jesus is Lord, not me. See, there's great hope in the reality of heaven. And this reality shapes us today. Because as we look at our own lives today and we look ahead to that future reality in heaven and we know that heaven is God's people and God's presence for God's glory, we have to look and examine our own lives and say, is that how I'm living now? See, I think we need to get off the throne of our own lives and surrender to King Jesus. And maybe even there's a part of your life that you've been holding back. Because in heaven, this perfect place, all will be under God's lordship and for his glory. And today, his calling to you is to say, look at your heart. What is it that you have not given, surrendered to me yet? Because we should long for, we should live for today this reality of God's people and God's presence for God's glory. Not to make ourselves what matters most, but to glorify God and to live for the sake of others as he's called us to in the great commandment. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I want to go to a time of prayer and confession. Something that I want to be a part of who we are as a church is that we each get an opportunity to pray every single week. In some way, whether that's a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of confession, a corporate prayer, whatever it is, I want us to be a people who pray. And so this morning, I think the time that we need to take is some time with the Lord personally to say, is there an area of my life that I have yet to submit to the Lordship of Jesus? That I'm still living for my own glory in this. That I've believed one of those lies of Babylon. So what I want to do is just give you a few minutes quietly to do some time with the Lord and to pray. And take the time to confess and surrender that one thing. Pick one thing today that you need to give to the Lord. So let's do that and I'll close in prayer in a moment.